Hey, Evil, how much do you love TikTok? Ooh, what's TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) That's the right answer. We're old dudes. We don't give a shit about TikTok. Let's just be honest. But in accordance to one of the more smarter peoples of this podcast, we have to be on TikTok or we will not have access to millions of people. So I'm going to do something that's insane, and I'm going to start doing a 10-second album review every single morning. How stupid is that on a scale of 1 to 10, Evil? Uh, That one goes all the way to 11. (laughs) Starting the, the day that this episode plays, this Monday, as of right now, everybody that's listening to this, we are now on TikTok. We've been on TikTok. The only thing we've had are promos, but now... I've got daily content. What I did, Robert Dimery came out with a book called 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. And he's actually abridged it over the last year. So there's actually 1,085 albums. So I'm just going to make it through that list. That's not as catchy as 1,001. It's not. Uh, But the idea is brilliant and I think is much better... It's a much better content idea for TikTok than our promos, which... The promos are fucking genius, by the way. Promos are great, but even the minute long that they are, they do not hold the patience of people that are on TikTok. No, 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 no. I feel like at some point we should bundle those up in compilations and put them somewhere (laughs) else because they're really funny. We'll leave that to Sven. Or maybe you. I don't know. Maybe me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everybody, at Verse Course First Pod, we are on TikTok. Go to our Instagram. Go to our website. You can just click on it there. We're on TikTok now. That's it. Let's listen to an episode. Coming up on Verse Course Verse, on February 22nd of this year, we lost an underrated, underappreciated singer-songwriter. We need to talk about it. That's next. I took a walk through this beautiful world. Felt the cool rain on my shoulder. Welcome to episode 82 of Verse Course Verse. I am DL. How are you? Are you well? Good. I'm doing very well. It's summer. It's really nice out. I think we are uh, done with the raininess in uh, good old Washington state. For now anyway, weather's pretty much perfect. High 70s today. You can hear the kids outside jumping on the trampoline, which means you can also hear the dog barking at the kids jumping on the trampoline. They will transition soon to swimming. It's the summer in the Northwest, man. It's good times. Going to be recording another episode tonight with a few people, but uh, for today, I'm going to get one done beforehand. Fly solo on this one. Love the crew, obviously, as you know, Rachel, Evil, Sven, some of my favorite people. But uh, this one's, you know, not only am I fine with doing it on my own, but it maybe even works alone. I'm not sure how much conversation needs to happen about this gentleman, although I will say that I'm sure that 
particularly evil would have a lot to say about the gentleman that I'm going to talk about tonight. I know that he, actually knowing him, he's probably been a bigger fan of the gentleman that I'm going to talk about tonight than me because of what this man represented and who he was and his background and his style of music. The man I'm talking about is Mark Lanigan. Most of the people who listen to this would know we lost Mark Lanigan this year. If you don't know who Mark Lanigan is, I'm going to share that with you today. I'm excited for it. I've always been a big Mark Lanigan fan, but I think like a lot of people, a lot of his projects kind of got lost in the shuffle of uh, other projects. Or maybe he was a lesser concentrated part of the projects he was part of, which I think he preferred. We'll get into that. We'll get into a bunch of other stuff before we do. Let's talk about, let's talk about how the pod's going. How is the pod going? It's going great. We've got some good stuff set up for next year. Um, Most of our interviews are done. We've got one more for the year. We're winding down. We've got about 12, 13 episodes left till our finale, till Rachel, Sven, Evil, and I get together in a cabin in the woods for a couple days and burn through a few episodes, pick some albums of the year, pick some what did we mess up on last year, pick some uh, what did we get right last year, and a ton of other stuff. It's going to be super awesome. And as far as music news right now, there's really not too much going on. So much music this year. There's just so much music. I am getting, and this is not a complaint, I love it, but I am getting so many emails and messages and Instagram DMs, what all that stuff about, hey, are you checking out this album? Have you checked out this album? Are you going to check out this album? Like I said, I'm not complaining. I love it. Please keep doing it. The whole reason I'm doing this is because I love talking about music and to get to talk to all of you about it is my favorite part about this, besides how much I get paid. But man, it's so overwhelming. And there's so many times, this is the first time, first time, this is second, middle of the second season, Jesus Christ deal. But I never thought that it would be one of those things where I would be saying, I don't even know if I'm going to have time to listen to that. I did get, you know, last 4th of July weekend, we did not record and I made it a point to take about three full days off of studying, editing, anything, and just listening to a shit ton of new stuff. And the freedom of that made it to where I was actually enjoying listening. It wasn't a forced listen because that can happen too, as you know, where you say, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen to these new albums today and it just gets to be too much and you aren't even having fun, which means you're not going to like the albums, right? No, this was uh, much more laid back. So I did, I got to check out some stuff that I don't know that we're going to be able to talk about this year. And I really, really enjoyed a lot of it. Big Thief comes to mind. That's a good album that I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about this year. What else did I check out off the top of my head? Soul Glow. I'm not sure if you've heard of Soul Glow yet. It's punk. It's new punk. It's very old punk style. Love it. Love that album. Hint, hint. Maybe Rachel, Evil, and Sven for end of the year that might be somewhere around there because i've been listening to that a ton uh i have not heard a punk album 
that punk in a long time. I mean, we're talking some bad brain stuff there. Really, really great shit. The smile, I mean, I'm sure everybody could have called that. And I'd imagine that at least one of those three, for example, will be on our What Did We Miss This Year? Or maybe the third quarter quick fire. Or like I said, talking about it, the finale. But of course, the smile I'm going to like, that's basically Radiohead. It's basically the people that write the Radiohead songs, doing Radiohead music. And I have specific feelings about where this album sits in the lore of Radiohead. So I got to listen to some new stuff. I actually loved all of it. I loved all that. But like I said, I appreciate getting the writing about all the new albums coming out. I promise you that I want to check out everything that I'm trying to, that eventually I'm sure that I will. But man, it's hard when you're studying for a pod. It really is. It's hard when I'm trying to do research about Mark Lanigan, for example. I've read over the last three weeks, I've listened to like five albums a lot getting ready for this. I've read two books getting ready for this. I've watched way too many YouTube videos. I mean, there's a lot of studying that's involved with this sort of thing. And when you're doing that, the last thing that you want to do really when you take a break is you don't want to listen to music. I don't. I just want to listen to another podcast or watch a show or sit in silence or that kind of thing. Anyway, keep the recommendations coming because I want them. I want to try to listen to all that stuff. I do love it. Just try to cool it with the uh, emails or the messages at the end of the year saying, why didn't you have this? You should have had this. You have to talk about this because it's album of the year. It's, you know, in first chorus, verse universe, first chorus universe. Hey, I'm sure we've done that before. We've had to have. It's not album of the year unless one out of four people thinks it's album of the year, motherfuckers. So pee on your this is album of the year. You are forced to talk about it. I am forced to talk about nothing except for Taylor Swift Van Halen, Chuck Mangione, and my gods, and apparently Hanson and Blackpink, and every single hair metal band, basically anybody that the cohorts enjoy. The music that you're going to hear in this episode, how about that music? You are going to hear some Mark Lanigan. You will know what it is when you hear it. I did get some rights to a couple of the Mark Lanigan things. Thank you to Sub Pop and 4AD. For the permission, it's going to sound very cool being able to put a little Mark Lanigan in here. Most of what you are going to hear, though, is just going to be some lo-fi background content, which is done by our one, our only, the Sven Knudsen. Yeah, the man that started this whole thing with me. The man that puts together our videos, our promos working on some other stuff to come out with next year. He's a good man, and he wrote the song that's going to be in the background called After the Night. You can check him out on Spotify. Just go to Sven Knutsen, S-V-E-N-D, or you can go to Instagram. He's on there. Uh, You can go to our website and get info about him there. There are many venues I would think that by now, you people probably know how to use the internet. Well, you can look him up, and you can listen to his beats. Thank you, Sven, for letting us use your shit, and not even making me pay you. That's what's going on this year. This is a really good time. I was starting to feel a little burnout. I'm feeling better now. And I guess with that, I should get to the most important part of the day. What am I drinking? Well, I just made an old-fashioned. 
It's a little bit of a weakened old fashioned, not because I, I didn't add water or anything. It's just Buffalo Trace simple syrup, twist of orange. But I did put it in a cup that was basically half ice and it is kind of a hot day. So I'm, I'm letting it melt. I'm letting it marinate. You know what? I like watered down bourbon. I always have. I always will. I like the extra length. I like the aroma. I think it makes the smell bigger. And yeah, it's a little bit, it's not as much of a punch to the tongue, which I, sometimes I'm in the mood for, but rarely. Usually I like on the rocks with a twist and uh, I don't feel bad about that. I don't think that I should. I'm drinking an old fashioned. I can't go crazy because like I said, I'm recording another episode tonight with some buds and I'll be drinking then too. So it's going to be a long Saturday. Mark Lanigan. Oh boy. When he passed away... I think a lot of people my age and at near my age and that are into the same music that I am had a lot of the same reaction, which was, this is going to sound terrible to say, but a, a surprise of how affected I was by it. When I paused and I stood back and I realized everything that he had been a part of, every project, every star he was aligned with, Every hero that somebody like me that grew up with the type of music that I did or, or Evil did or Sven did, every star, every legend, every hero born from those eras, Mark Lanigan was somehow directly related to them. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about his life. I want to talk about how he was raised and his massive, massive drug addiction, and talk about which projects of his were just freaking badass. That's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, pay homage to underrated the cowboy of grunge, which my guess from hearing his interviews and his talks, my God, he would hate that so much. So well, I guess we'll just call him Dark Mark. I think he'd like that a little more. We're going to take a break. Then we're going to get into Mr. Mark William Lanigan. start ripping off the projects that he was a part of screaming trees mad season queens of the stone age the people that he was close with in, in homey and cobain and staley it clicks in your head jesus this guy this guy had something mark lanigan definitely had something he had something that i don't think anybody of the era had i think the main reason i mean his life all of us growing up our courses of history, the things that happen to us, they make us who we are from when we were kids, how we're raised, decisions we make ongoing. They dictate who you end up being. His was so unique that I think he ended up just being this person that was unlike nobody, especially from the genre he was from. He was born in 64 grew up in Ellensburg, Washington. Ellensburg, Washington is a 
very, very small blue blood sort of, I think it's like 20,000 people or something like that, which means that back then it would have been way less. Uh, Yeah, 18,000 in 2020. So in the 60s, it would have been much, much less. This was a very, very country type of place. He grew up with a very, very country feel. He grew up on a farm. Uh, His family had a deep history of inbred moonshiners from the Dakotas. I should say that all the information that I'm going to give today are all from interviews directly with him out of his mouth. Devil in a Coma, which was a memoir, Mark Lanigan, uh, Seeing Backwards and Weep, which was, uh, that was actually a memoir. That's an absolute memoir as well, written by Mark Lanigan, uh, which I think that one was much better. I'll talk about that one. There, there were certain aspects of it I liked, certain aspects I didn't. Uh, But anyway, everything that I'm going to talk about is from his mouth. So when I say something like inbred moonshiners, I'm not trying to be insulting. This is his terms. These are things that he said in his books or his interviews. I'm not going to be able to cite them all, but like that one specifically, I believe, comes from Sing Backwards and Weep. Yeah, not trying to insult anybody. These are his words. But it was that type of family. Very, very country, very, very hillbilly, redneck his mom saw her father shot to death on their front lawn just really really not a perfect family environment his mother was extremely mentally abusive did not want to be a mother to him or his sister she was very and i'm not talking like normal parental stuff that you grow up and you go to your psychiatrist and you know everything that i did was wrong no his mom was either not home Or when she was home, she was mad about what they were doing, keeping food for herself, being mad if they would eat, that sort of abusive. So so I guess in a way physically abusive as well. He did not have a good mother. He had a good father, but when his mother left, his dad was a very straight shooter, I guess is a cliched phrase to say. His dad was real old school, real quiet, not much to it from him, and he kind of had a hands-off form of parenting. And it sounds like from the memoirs, once Mark's mother left, at a young age, which I think was very, very good that she did. I think his dad got even quieter and was a drinker, not a violent or an abusive drinker, a drinker nonetheless. If you are the type of parent that's drinking copious amounts of alcohol every day, you aren't going to be your best self as a parent. Boy, I'm just throwing judgments all over the place, aren't I? Look, I'm here drinking an old fashioned while my kid's outside jumping on a trampoline. So I am not the perfect picture of parental guidance, but nothing that bad. I'm not planning on getting sloppy and then uh, letting my kid fend for herself. That's for sure. So some pretty tough stuff, tough to the point where he looked for an escape and he found a lot of escapes. He became what he would describe, what I would describe and he would agree, I think, listening to his memoirs as a hustler from an extremely young age. He was playing dice in elementary and and trying to get kids lunch money and he jerry-rigged these weird gambling machines that were in his town. He found one in a dumpster or something like that that he took, opened up, 
fixed, jerry-rigged to where you couldn't win more than a certain amount and the losing percentages would raise. And he went around school asking kids if they wanted to gamble their money and stuff like that. His own words, he was an addictive gambler, hustler, whatever you want to call it, by the time he was 12 years old. He was also addicted to alcohol by the time he was 12 years old. He was drinking every day at 12 years old. So that kind of life. You listen to his interviews, you see him at his older age uh, when he got cleaned up and stuff. And I don't think from the time he was age 12, I don't think he ever recovered from his childhood. I really don't. I don't think he ever did. The one thing that it seemed like a little bit of a saving grace for him and the reason that he made it out alive from his childhood was he became addicted to punk at about age 14. Completely classic story about getting addicted to uh, punk bands. Bands like the Sonics and New York Dolls and Death and the Ramones and the Clash and Joy Division. Uh, very stereotypical. He was at a pawn shop because he regularly pawns stuff because when you are an addictive gambler or alcoholic, you are always pawning things. And one of the things he saw in there were a bunch of old 45s. And the guy gave them to him, told him to check him out. And from that point on, this, this guy worked basically as Mark's DJ. This is what is really cool about Mark. And I think we'll talk more about this, but I think this is what completely structured his sound. So growing up in this big country, all that he had to listen to his whole childhood was country. That's all he knew. He had only ever heard country. It's all anybody there ever listened to in school, parents, radio, everything was all country or Christian or country or country or country. So when he heard this, it saved him. We all remember that moment as a kid when you first heard something specific and this was his. I think that he was an amazing combination of two things. I don't think that he ever fully lost that country side of him. He was always rough and tough. And I think that's a lot of where his, his lyrics and his voice and his mellowness and his tall, dark, from the other side of the tracks attitude came from, but he also had that punk edge. He also, he knew good music. And that's a very, very douchey thing to say, but, but when you have those multiple genres working for you, you're gonna write great shit. And we'll get to that. When, you, when you're able to successfully cover some of the things he covered and give the ideas to people that he gave and be kind of a spark behind certain things that I think were very refreshing for a lot of the guys that he gave sparks to that ended up ruling the world, it's a big deal. He got in a ton of trouble when he was a kid, a ton of trouble for, you know, theft and this and that. And he stole a vehicle from one of his teachers and then drove it off the road and just tons of stuff like this. The cops were super corrupt too in Ellensburg and they hated him because he was a punk, which was very much not the norm there. And when I'm saying not the norm, I mean, Every single kid in his school was listening to something other than him and dressing a different way than him and that sort of thing. Plus he was poor, which, you know, you know how well kids treat poor kids in schools just wonderfully. But the cops would, you know, bust him and take his money and bust him for stuff that he didn't do. It was just not a, when you're fucking up 
and then you're also not fucking up and being blamed for the fuck ups just a bunch of stuff together he ended up on his way back from stripping his parole officer's truck for parts and then destroying it with a sledgehammer he got in this extremely bad car wreck because he you know fell asleep behind the wheel or whatever from drugs and alcohol all that sort of thing he was arrested after he got out of the hospital, he faced 30 charges, about 30 charges, and he ended up facing 18 months in jail. And the judge was kind of the first one that that gave him empathy, that lo- he looked at his list of charges. He must have known the name or something like that. And he asked Mark, he said, Mark, have you ever gotten help? Have you ever gone to a detox program? Have you ever tried to kick alcohol? Have your parents ever tried to help you? And so the judge ended up suspending his jail sentence. Just said that if you just go and get detoxed, if you go to a program, we'll suspend your charges. And they let him out. And uh, he stopped drinking. Awesome, right? Not really. (laughs) Because he still smoked pot every day. Which don't give me that shit. Pot is pot. It's a drug. Like I get it. It's not as serious. It's not as, as health alarming, but you're still altering your brain with a substance every single day. And to add to that, according to him, in his last couple years of school, he was dropping acid and smoking weed every single day before school. Every day. Dropping acid every single day. Once he hit the age of 18, uh, he was working at a video store with the Connor brothers. And the Connor brothers were in a band, you know, like most kids were back then. They were doing their band thing, uh, Lee and Van. They had a drummer, Mark Pickerel, who was eventually replaced by Martin. This, this was the Screaming Trees. And what's fascinating is this was pretty much their lineup, most their career. Van, Lee, and Mark were in the band the entire time. Uh, Mark Pickerel was replaced in 91, in the middle of 91, by Barrett Martin and uh, Josh Homey played with them for a little bit in like 96. I think we'll talk about that later, uh, just touring with them and stuff. But the entire Screaming Trees time from 86 on was Mark Lee and Van. Lee was a guitarist and Van was bass. So he meets them at the video store. They're playing music together and stuff and Mark can't play anything. He's just kind of singing. Lee's doing all the writing, and and according to Mark, Lee was writing insane amounts of music, like 45, 50 songs a week, all year. Just all this guy did was write and put it on a shitty little tape recorder, and then he had like a four track he'd put it on, which Mark, Mark didn't know anything about this stuff, but, and Lee would write these parts that just didn't really work, but Mark hated singing them because Lee wouldn't make them as a band, Lee would make them himself, fitting his own play style and his own singing style and stuff like that. He just had no regard for anybody around him artistically. Lanigan actually talks about these recordings a little bit in a couple, in an interview in a book, and the one that really sticks out, the obvious one, he would sit there and he would listen to these recordings and just try to find little hooks and things like that. And he, there really wasn't that much there. He would sit through hours of these tapes and just not really have anything. But it's a lot like Uh, Tom York said that he would do when they were messing with Kid A and suddenly he heard the brilliance of Idiotech within 30 seconds of an hour of of listening to these tapes and 
Lanigan said that he was listening to the tapes one day and all of a sudden Lee, he was doing this loop with his guitar and he just kept saying the same thing. And the lyric he was singing was the, I nearly lost you. He heard that and he flipped out and that led to, well, it led to their biggest song. If you listen to Screaming Tree's first few albums, first actually like first four or five albums in, let's see, in 86, they had Clairvoyance. That's their first album. Even If and Especially When in 87. Invisible Lantern in 88. Buzz Factory in 89. Like they were pumping shit out. Uncle Anesthesia in 91. Mark Lanigan hates all those albums. And I pretty, Lee, I couldn't find anything about Lee, but uh, Van doesn't like him either. They were all in and out of kind of the, the grunge thing and they were doing the small tours and the shitty, you know, they're, the very stereotypical story of the shitty travel and the this and that with all the other quote unquote grunge bands in the uh, Northwest. They were meeting all these people. Mark was in close with, uh, he was good friends with Kurt, all the guys from, you know, Chris and Kurt, buddies with the, you know, Tad and in fact, when Nirvana was really, really early in their career, and Mark does talk a few times about the first time he heard Nirvana and how he knew right away that like there was something special about that band. There was something extremely special. Actually, he has this fun anecdote about Chris trying to quit Nirvana and start a band with Mark, basically saying like, I can't, not because Mark was more talented or anything like that. Like Mark didn't really play anything. He didn't write a lot. It was just his personality that would win people over. Chris called him once and was like, I'm, I'm quitting. I can't do this. I can't do this stuff with Kurt. Because, I mean, we're going to talk about Nirvana a lot on this show, I'm sure. But, you know, Kurt would not have been the easiest guy to work with, as brilliant as he is, how many geniuses are easy to work with. And Mark was the one that told Chris, like, stay in that fucking band, dude. You guys have something that nobody else can touch. Stay in that band. So, you know, however much of that is true, but we've talked about that before on the show. I choose to buy into the lore. It's my favorite. And I want that story to be true. So it's true, right? But yeah, he, the first time he saw Nirvana was in a public library and they got done. They were like forced to stop playing because it was closing or something like that. And Mark was just bewildered that people weren't going insane. And you know, their shows were a lot like all the other shows. They would end up get beat drunk or stoned or, and Mark would kind of go through uh, time periods of when he was drinking too much or he stopped smoking weed for a while. He had this humongously bad experience with weed at one point and then for like seven or eight years in his life anytime he'd smoke pot he would like a terrible acid trip or something like that it would happen to him every single time so he had he had to stop smoking weed for like eight years so drinking he would be sober for a while and then he wouldn't be in their shows there'd be fighting and punching and they'd get and one of them would quit and then not quit and then you know one of them would storm off stage you know the the standard 20s we're a punk band, we're in shitty bars, we have seven people listening and we're gonna make 50 bucks sort of stuff that just ha- that we all went through. Anybody that, that played gigs or that sort of thing, we all went through it. Screaming Trees was, you know, they were good, 
but they weren't that thing. And they were kind of going back and forth through Epic and Sub Pop. Nobody was really pulling the trigger on them. Sub Pop, you know, I want to talk about this at some point uh, in one of the episodes, but Sub Pop, Sub Pop has an amazing reputation for obvious reasons and the bands that came from there. But the dudes that started Sub Pop were kind of pieces of shit. And you, you kind of have to be a piece of shit to run a music label, right? I mean, don't you? But he had become really close with Kurt Cobain from listening to interviews with Kurt and then reading Mark's book and that sort of thing. But combining it all together, I think Kurt kind of saw him as a, almost like a bigger brother or a Kurt had a really, really soft spot for Mark Lanigan. You'll find that a lot of these guys did. Lane had a real special friendship with him. Obviously, Josh Homme ended up. There was something about this guy that just drew those people to him. I, and we'll talk about one of those things. It's a little depressing. But I think what set him apart from a lot of the other people in the industry those days and what set apart the sound for the specifically not only the Screaming Trees, but Mark Lanigan's solo work, which we'll talk about now, Mark had this love for, thanks to his country background, for music like Nick Cave or, or Leonard Cohen or things like that. He loved, that was his real love. You know, he loved punk, but that old outlaw, Nick Cave is the big one that comes to mind. He talks about Nick Cave a lot. I think that really set him apart. And Mark quit the Screaming Trees, and when he quit, Gary Lee, Connor, did a lot of soul searching and came back. Gary Lee, as I talked about in the past, if you'll remember that he did all the writing and he wanted to do all the writing, he wasn't going to share anything, he didn't give a shit. He came back and he basically told Mark, you guys are right, let's make it a band thing, let's all do this next album together. And when they did the next album together, they wrote Sweet Oblivion. Most of you know Sweet Oblivion, love Sweet Oblivion. I do not own the vinyl. God, I wish I did, especially now because it's going to be a while before it's not like a hundred bucks unless they reissue it soon, which man, they should. Um, but Epic, man, Epic fucks up on their reissues so much. I don't understand that fucking record label. But if you don't know Sweet Oblivion, you know Nearly Lost You. Everybody knows Nearly Lost You. And yes, maybe it was overplayed, maybe this, maybe that. Bottom line is it's one of the best songs written of the last 30 years. His voice, the lyrics, the simple guitar parts, the dirty but major, it's just so fucking, it's such a fucking awesome song. That album, that entire album is fantastic. And going along with that album, it, two years before that, in 1990, Mark wrote and came out with his own solo album in The Winding Sheet. In a lot of those interviews with the Kurtz and the, those sort of people, those guys all fucking loved The Winding Sheet. I think that's what made him the, he was the outlaw country man of the grunge era. The winding sheet has all these, you know, ugly Sunday and eyes of a child and these these old school country-esque grungy sort of and he has his lead belly cover on that album of Where Did You Sleep Last Night? And that was a song that he and Kurt were supposed to record. Kurt and he were supposed to record stuff forever. They kept trying and almost and not and doing and not doing. 
and obviously it worked out for the best because Kurt ends up doing Where Did You Sleep Last Night on Unplugged and it's one of the greatest performances that you will ever see in the history of anything. If you watch that for the first time and you don't at least get a frog in your throat, then you have no soul. That album meant a lot to a lot of people. It was a fantastic album. And his next solo album came out in 94, two years after Sweet Oblivion, Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. That album, that album is so good. I think that Evil might have brought it up when we were talking about Mark Lanigan passing away on the podcast, right? When he passed away, we just did a cheers at the beginning of one of the episodes. And I think he brought up this album, but holy shit, it is so good. It's got Mike Johnson playing all the strings and organ. He's playing everything. Tad Doyle plays the drums on it and, and Pickroll plays the drums. It's got upright bass and violin. It's folksy. It's amazing. It's such a good album. Once he got a little bit of artistic right, he just, he had that thing. He had the voice and he was tall and he was big. And the way that he grew up, he was a fucking badass. He didn't take shit from anybody. He was tough as nails. He fought all the time. You know, he was hanging out with these violent but small and gentle dudes. And I think it just worked. Uh, you know, Kurt was a little dude, but I mean, I'm sure that guy would have scrapped with anybody. You know, Lane, what did Lane weigh? A hundred pounds soaking wet. At this point, he's with Sweet Oblivion coming out. They've basically got it. He came out with a lot of other solo stuff after that. And Screaming Trees came out with another album in 96. And then they had a, like a 2011, I think it was like a greatest hits or something like that. But he kind of knew that Sweet Oblivion was his big thing. Dust, which was their 96 album, that's a good album too, but they just had so many issues getting that album out. And the reason they had so many issues was because pretty quickly after and during Sweet Oblivion was cut, Mark got deep into drugs, coke and heroin. Eventually that became crack, but this is about when he got a big, big, fat heroin problem, like all the guys had back then. And if you want to read his book, once again, the, the book that he came out with, Seeing Backwards and Weep, he's got some great but depressing stories about rolling joints with a truck driver's Bible pages and partying with uh, House of Pain guy. What's the folk singer that came from Everlast? He has a funny story about how he was on tour I think it was like a Lollapalooza or something like that with House of Pain and Everlast. Uh, hopefully you guys know that Everlast came from House of Pain. If not, mind blown right there, right? He has this funny story about being just completely fucked up on heroin and running into Everlast. We Everlast went on a party and Everlast was like, are you okay? And he was just like, yeah, man, I just had some really, really great pot. And Everlast was a key came from the, well, the Boston hip. I don't know, white hip hop, I don't know what you want to call House of Pain. And he was totally into it. Mark said it was really funny, like a year or two later, they had a show again in Everlast. They had this weed and was really excited to give it to Mark. Like, Mark, hey, I got this great weed, let's smoke it. And Mark's like, I don't smoke weed, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> God, was nuts. That's kind of the pre into the look I'm on drugs now. And then we can get to a little bit of the uh, more depressing stuff. Are you excited? I know you are. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back.
feel like you know enough about Mark Lanigan, do you? Mark struggled with every part of his life all the time. When I talk about The Winding Sheet, his first solo album, he hated the album art. He hated it so much. Actually, that was that was done under Sub Pop. Sub Pop had said that they wanted to use that picture for the album cover, and Mark made them promise that they wouldn't. He hated it so much, and they did it anyway. And the head of Sub Pop, Mark basically wanted to kick his ass for like a decade because of that. Like the the head actively hid from him. A lot of people, it seems like, hid from ass kickings from Mark Lanigan. He has great stories about really trying to go toe-to-toe with certain people. He has a couple choice words to say about the Gallagher brothers. You know which one. But they did a tour with uh, Oasis, and Liam just spread his douchery all over that tour. And, of course, Mark is a pretty no-bullshit guy, so he and Mark butted heads quite a bit. But Liam always had bodyguards around him and stuff and took off from the tour early because I think that was when he might have quit Oasis like one of the times he quit Oasis but it's just there's some funny parts in his books about having to deal with the ultimate douchebag of Liam Gallagher and that's one of the things about you you read Mark's books and there's a little bit of douchiness in it um, a lot about women and, and I think towards the end he kind of redeems it because he sort of that's the point of the book is he's talking about how out of touch he was because of drugs and, and how ludicrous his thought process was because of drugs but he has a lot of stories about fighting and disagreeing and this and that with people and he was on drugs the whole time so it's been my experience in life that if you're dealing with somebody that is into alcohol heavily or into drugs, that typically the conversations, the arguments, the things that happen are going to be their fault. <laughs> I think a lot of it was probably on him. And that's kind of what it turned into. You know, he didn't do music much anymore. He he didn't stick with music. He didn't keep playing. He toured to feed his addiction. He went hard in the paint on heroin hard in the paint he sold a lot of heroin to keep his his addiction since he wasn't the more famous of the people you know people didn't know what mark lanigan looked like so he being the friend of the lane staley's and the kurt cobain's hanging and the courtney loves would go out and buy the heroin and nobody would stop him on the street and stuff so he'd be the one that would go out and buy it and take some for himself and do that and then bring it back like that was his thing he was kind of the you know he was the mule for these people because he could go out in public he and lane were uh partying hard together for a long time during a tour they toured for allison chains and that of course is a part i, I like a screaming cheese open for allison chains for a tour and mark has this section which i don't remember which book but where he's just talking about how lane was just a different thing on stage like nobody was like lane on stage there was this other beingness about him and the the way that he could sing and the things he would do and he, he had a lot of great things to say about Alice in Chains in general that the the sound that they would they just didn't sound like anything else but he really you could tell he saw Lane as this being just floating also incredibly impressed at how he would talk about how teeny lane was and how lane would just do so many drugs and so much and anything that he get hands on booze anything 
and he could perform on stage like nothing. He ended up getting blood poisoning one of the times he shot up and he was stuck in, uh, I think it was like Italy, where he was ended up stuck in some really shitty hospital. And basically they told him like his arm had gotten completely red from the elbow down. And the doctors had basically told him, they gave him this stuff and they basically told him in 72 hours, they drew a line on his arm and they said in 72 hours, if this raises at all, or it doesn't lower, we're gonna have to amputate your arm. Lane cried with him. They were that close and Lane had to move on with the tour, but there's a lot of stuff like that. He became broke. He was living in places with no power. He was, he wasn't living off all these royalties and these, these albums that sold these millions of copies because, you know, Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion, it didn't sell the way that a lot of the other albums, you know, it didn't sell like a Nirvana album or a Soundgarden album or an Alice in Chains album. And I'm not saying it wasn't as good. It just didn't sell as much. And one of the big, 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 big factors. One of the ways that they got completely fucked over was they were the only band that gave the single soundtrack their song for free. No rights, no, like, didn't make sure that there was any sort of contract. Basically, their agent scrambled to them one day and was like, there is a fucking soundtrack that is going to come out that has every single Seattle band on it. You have to be on it or you're done. And so they scrambled to it. Mark himself literally had to run into this office in Seattle, hand hand the demo and leave. They did it for free. It ended up being, besides Wood, but that's the thing is Wood was a part of Dirt. Wood was Alice in Chains' song. Nearly Lost You ended up being like the single song. And you know what everybody ended up buying? They ended up buying the single soundtrack. They didn't buy Sweet Oblivion. Everybody wanted Nearly Lost You, so they bought the single soundtrack, and because of that, Sweet Oblivion sold so much less than it should have. So he was broke, and he was gonna be broke anyways. If you're a heroin addict, a crack addict, you're it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're gonna be broke. Uh, with the exception of, you know, maybe if you're a millionaire. He had friends in the industry, Cobain would give him money. Mark would never ask, but you know, Cobain would pull money out of ATMs and you go get me some dope. Here's $5,000, you know, which dope is not $5,000. And, uh, even Lane called Mark once and said, Hey, come down to the studio. I'm working with, on something with, with McCready and, and Martin, the drummer from Screaming Trees. And Mark came down, went into the studio. He said, that I was surprised, like it was just Lane and I, and Lane knew how to do all the studio stuff. He was surprised at that, that Lane knew how to fix the levels, put on record. And Lane said, you know what we're gonna do? We are just going to write a song together. I'm gonna do a line, you're gonna do a line, I'm gonna write a line, you're gonna write a line. And that became Long Gone Day from Mad Season, which you should know by now, people, if you are listening to this, that the album above, by Mad Season is my favorite album of all time. I think it's perfect. 
I think it's hit me at the very right time in my life. Every single song is fantastic. And Mark Lanigan was a part of my favorite album of all time. So there you go. He was only on two songs. He had amazing, amazing lyrics. I don't know if you call them backup lyrics or lyrics to the song above. It's basically just him and Lane singing at the exact same volume. Um, but it's mostly Lane screaming in the choruses, but it's still badass. And then Long Gone Day is way more of a Mark Lanigan sort of feel. Super gentle vibe. It's almost, uh, it's almost loungy. You got a little bit of sax and stuff in there. So Mark left the studio after just writing that stupid little song, singing those parts. He said he was there for maybe an hour. And then as time rolls on, suddenly he's getting these massive royalty checks because all the guys from Mad Season gave him an equal part to that album. That's They didn't have to do that. That's freaking amazing. So he had that going for him. And I know that I'm basically, I'm blowing by Dust, which was, that was the 96 album that the Screaming Trees did. That was the one that just took forever to make because Lanigan was just so out of it and so drugged out. And I don't mean to just blow by it because that's a fantastic album. It is a great album. Listen to it. You will love it. Um, I have found that out of Screaming Trees fans, that is actually the album that a lot of musicians, musicians like. It's very well produced. A great album. I just don't... We're talking about Lanigan. I don't have time to focus on dust uh, as much as I'd like to. And then, of course, he ends up being buddies with Homey, who ends up being the next big genius of the industry. He played with Screaming Trees for a while. They toured a lot together. They have stories about Homey went one night with him to score dope. Homey didn't do any heroin. He didn't do anything like that, but he went with Mark once to an extremely tough neighborhood in some sort of DC or something like that. He had a lot of stories like that, a lot of crazy shit. And it all, unfortunately, towards the last half of his life, and honestly, you could say it was since he was 12 years old, it all had to do with drugs and alcohol. Mark really stopped doing much of anything. He came out with a lot of stuff later on. It really sounds like from the interviews and from the books that it was just to pay the bills. I'm not sure how much passion was left in it. I hope nobody is too upset but I am going to kind of blow by his... He pumped out a lot of music the last 10 years of his life, solo-wise. Under his own name, he came out with, starting in 1988 all the way to 2020, he came out with Scraps at Midnight, I'll Take Care of You, Field Songs, Bubblegum, Blues Funeral, Imitations, Phantom Radio, Gargoyle, Somebody's Knocking, and Straight Songs of Sorrow, uh, 2020. I'm not blowing by these because they're not good. There's a lot of good stuff on it. Very similar work in each one. Uh, there are a couple that do stand out. The biggest by far to me is Blue's Funeral. Blue's Funeral is a spectacular album. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it was during this time uh, Mark had already left Queens of the Stone Age, but Josh Homey called Mark and said, we are doing a show. I want you to come. There's somebody I want you to meet. And at that show, Mark met, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark Lanigan ended up being such good friends with so many badasses of the badasses. And at that show, he met one Anthony Bourdain. 
that Josh had already been friends with for a while. And of course, Mark and Anthony completely hit it off. Both of them being recovering addicts, uh, still battling as recovering addicts do every day. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, which if you watched his shows, you knew very passionately and intimately his struggles. So they hit it off. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it was about this exact time in 2012 when Anthony Bourdain asked Mark and Josh to write the uh, theme song to the greatest show there will ever be in the history of the world, Parts Unknown. Um, If you have not seen that, you do yourself a great disservice. Go watch it now. I'm not kidding. It's the greatest show ever made. There will not be a better one. If you're going by production value, story, I mean, if we're talking actual engrossed show, but I have a lot of favorite TV shows that are very different from this one. You know, you have your classics, your I Love Lucy, you have your Deadwood, uh, you have your Little House on the Prairie, of course, right? Everybody loves Little House on the Prairie, but this is something different. This was Anthony Bourdain being Anthony Bourdain, going to a different country and learning. And it's just incredible. When Mark talked with Anthony about the theme song, Anthony Bourdain told Mark that he wanted a song that sounded like Joey Ramone singing What a Wonderful World. And Mark said the song immediately wrote itself. It turned into a just uh, unbelievable minute of music that is the could not be a more perfect intro song to a show. His life was so intertwined with so many people that I, my whole life, have just gravitated toward. All these Josh Homes and Lane Staley's and Anthony Bourdain, all the names of people that um, I'm not sure why, but I very much idolize uh, either in spite of or because of their flaws, probably because of. I mean, he was drug addict to the point of, we're talking, he ran out of veins, he was shooting up in his toes, he was the, the worst of the worst. And meanwhile, he's watching his buddies, Kurt Cobain, he, he watched him almost OD. He became really, really close with Courtney Love after Kurt killed himself. And he and Courtney uh, did a lot of stuff together. He thinks so highly of Courtney. Apparently, Courtney helped him out so many times when she didn't have to. If you listen to him talk about Courtney, which you can find in a few places, I actually have a lot more respect for her because of things that Mark said that she did for him. It's pretty impressive stuff. He ended up getting cleaned up off and on. And when Mark passed away in Ireland, he had moved to Ireland and he was doing well in Ireland. Uh, He had been sober for about 12 years. He ended up getting COVID. He had a terrible immune system from the entire life of drugs. It's one of those stories where he, he was always very upfront about his addiction. He always talked very sincerely about it, about the people he had hurt, about the things he had done. You know, if you watched him play later on or even listened to him in interviews, his teeth had fallen out. 
he looked like a recovering addict and that's what he was, but he did it. He had been off drugs for a long time. And when you go from the age of 12 to whatever he was when he stopped, 45 or something, that's a long time to be an addict and stop. Um, so in that area alone, Mark was a fucking badass. That's not even talking about you know, go listen to Mad Season, go listen to the parts of Queen of the Stone Age that he was on, go listen to his solo albums, go listen to Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, good God, that is an out of nowhere 94 country blues album from the lead singer of Screaming Trees, and it's fucking amazing. And that's Mark Lanigan. That is why the legends loved him. People want to know, who doesn't want to know who your favorite's favorite is. You know, how many times was Jimi Hendrix asked, who's your favorite guitarist? Mark Lanigan was loved by all these dudes, all of them. In honor of Mark Lanigan, have a cocktail or, or you know what, if you're sober, <laughs> celebrate being sober. I, for one, am going to have a whiskey. I'll probably listen to Sweet Oblivion because I really love that album. Maybe I'll listen to Whiskey for the Holy Ghost again because that's amazing. I'll find his version of Where Did You Sleep Last Night. I'll play that because that's fucking awesome. He is a person that never got the respect that his music deserves. And I think a lot of that was him. You know, he didn't push his stuff. He toured a lot on festivals and openings, but he wasn't a music first guy. He wasn't one of the princes sitting in the, I'm drinking, sitting in the studio giving everything he had for his craft. He wasn't one of these out of the womb, brilliant beings like a Kurt Cobain that just had magic that nobody else had. And he wasn't one of these incredibly super musicians like Soundgarden, where everybody is so fucking talented from the singer down to the drummer that there's no way that you can fail. Mark Lanigan had it in his soul. He was the soul of that era. I firmly believe that. And I think that most of the people that came from that era would agree. And for that, I absolutely love the guy. He wasn't perfect. He didn't want to be perfect. I love people like that. I want my heroes to be very imperfect. I want my heroes to fuck up the way that I know that I'm going to fuck up because it's relatable and because it tells you that shit, I messed up, but you know what? Everybody messes up. I have proof. And I think those sort of messages are important. Mark. William Lanigan, born November 25th, 1964, died February 22nd, 2022 of COVID. Uh, I think this is one of the cases where it's definitely safe to say pre-existing conditions, but he did die of COVID. He was an American singer-songwriter in every sense of the word. In a generation that didn't have people like that, he was your Tom Waits. He was your Leonard Cohen. That's it. That's Mark Lanigan. That's Screaming Trees and Mad Season and Queens of the Stone Age. And, you know, though, if you are a part of all three of those projects, you are something special. I also haven't even mentioned that he was part of the collaboration of the Gutter Twins with Greg Dooley. 
That was much more of a project. Actually, that had Dave Roser in it, who is also dead. That was more of a, an LA-based alternative rock thing in the 2000s. It wasn't really my thing, but I do like that it's the Gutter Twins, which is a take on the Glimmer Twins by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Look at me finding a way to uh, make fun of the Stones. If you get a chance to read Mark's books, they're good. I would just recommend listening to his solo music, and that's how you're going to know Mark Lanigan best. Um, that's all I've got. I am done with my old fashioned. So glad that I've gotten back into his music this year. I did not appreciate it at a younger age, because I don't think it's younger age music. But now that I am a 25-year-old male, I man, I just appreciate the music so much more. We are going to talk about this again in the finale because, you know, we do our people that passed away this year and damn tootin' we're going to talk about him because I do want to hear Evil Sven and Rachel's thoughts on Mark Lanigan, particularly Evil's. I mean, everybody has great thoughts, but I think Evil, like I said, has had a closer relationship with his music than the others and probably even me. Yeah, I guess the moral of the story is don't don't do heroin. Don't do crack. Don't get into any of that stuff. Please, if you want to, if you're thinking about it, write me and I'll just send you back a big old list of people that I have always liked that are dead because of it. Versecourseverse.com at versecourseversepod. I hope you are all doing well. My next one that I'm going to do will be a little bit interesting and maybe make you a little more angry than depressed. Join us next week for our fourth listener supported episode. We have got another listener coming on our second of this year, our final one of this year. And we are talking about a very underrated hip hop album for the nineties. I am extremely excited about it. Thank you so much for listening. Please go follow on Spotify. Please go rate and review on iTunes. Please go to our website. You can buy a t-shirt there or a hat. And I hope everybody listens to a little bit more Mark Lanigan now that you know a little more about him. Take it easy. Don't do drugs. I love you. Good night and good luck. Good luck.